Welcome to the All of Life podcast from Redemption Church Tempe, where we have conversations on faith, culture, theology, and beyond to help us live all of life, all for Jesus. Let's jump into today's episode. All right, well, welcome everyone to the All of Life podcast. My name is Jim Mullins. I'm the co-lead pastor for Redemption Tempe. And today we're going to talk about caring for the vulnerable, sort of an extension from our sermon on Sunday, uh, really fleshing out what this would look like. So what we're doing now is we're basically, we've got the leaders of the prayer and action groups with our church, and we're going to talk a bit about the the, the topics that our prayer and action groups cover uh, and give some thought and reflection to how we can actually love our neighbor. So um, we're here with Shelby and Logan. Shelby and Logan, would you each introduce yourself, give us your name, which prayer and action group you lead, and then how you spend your days? Okay, I can start. I'm Logan Tokos. I lead the Affordable Housing Action Group here at Redemption Tempe. Um, And during my days, I work as a land survey technician in land development. So you see the guys with the GPS out there. That's not me. I'm sitting in the office drafting, making maps. Mm. Um, And then I'm also a master's student at ASU getting my master's in urban planning. Yeah. And and, uh, for those who don't get affordable housing and what that encompasses. Do you have like a little snapshot of the issue? A little snapshot. I would define it just as housing that you can afford. That's um, a good definition. Yeah. Right there. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I worked really hard on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just thinking about like, what does it take to have housing that people who are low income or very low income, or even just now in this housing market that's coming up here in Phoenix, just people who make average amounts of income, what does it take for them to be able to buy and rent houses that don't burden them so that they still have enough money to afford all the other things of life, you know, groceries, gas, car maintenance, clothes, kids' school, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, all right, I'm gonna, I got some more questions for right. you. We're going to get into that. But Shelby, tell us about you. Yeah, um, I'm leading the Refugee Prayer and Action Group, and I spend my days as a sports massage therapist. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, And so yours launches on what date? October 11th. October 11th. And uh, so there's still time to sign up. Presumably, this will come out, um, you know, before that. So, uh, and then uh, Logan has just started. Uh, about a month or two ago? Yeah, we started middle of August. Yeah, cool. Uh, if someone was like gung-ho, can they jump in or is it too late? It's too late. We're closed, but yeah. still please reach out to me. I would love to talk to you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, and then I lead the pra- the uh, criminal justice prayer and action group along with Bethany Banesh. And there's one more for Sanctity of Life, but uh, I kept striking out on getting one of those people uh, here at the, the podcast. So... Really what a prayer and action group is, is it's pretty simple. It is a group of people who are really focused on one either people, place, or problem. And the goal is to understand it deeply, to be praying fervently about it, and for each person to have an action plan that helps them engage in it. And so I thought it would be great to have both of you here for us to have a little discussion as people are stirred 
and, and asking the question of how can they actually love the vulnerable in our city, that we could reflect on that a little bit. So I guess as a way to just launch in, I've got a playful little question for us. So with each of our prayer and action groups, our area of focus, I want you to imagine that you could put a billboard up. Some eccentric millionaire was like, I am going to give you a billboard that everyone in your prayer and action group is going to see the moment they walk out of the house. What are you going to put in that 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 board? In other words, what's the one like sentence, phrase, picture that you want them to see to be reinforced and caring about your issue? So... Shelby, let's go with you first. Gosh, this is kind of a tough question. Well, that's um, I, you think that's tough. These <laughs> other ones are getting real tough. Oh, shoot. So, um, so my initial like idea for this question was actually like a picture of eyes. Picture of eyes? Yeah, like the billboard would just be eyes, like a, a pair of like just nice, irregular general eyes. Um, and like the thought behind that is it's like walking into this, just like, remember to look people in the eyes. Mm, yeah. Um, cause like, just like what, what you're walking into is just kind of like, is like a relationship with, with people and things like that. So, so it's not like God's watching you do a better job. No. No. Okay. <laughs> no. That's no. good. Yeah. Logan, what would you put on there? I would put the phrase affordable housing is a hospitality issue. Yeah. So good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Explain that. Flesh that out. Yeah. That came to me in prayer this morning. So we're going to credit the Holy Spirit, not no, me. Okay. But, um, well, let's see how good it is before we give to the Holy <laughs> Spirit. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's that's fine. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I was just thinking about it, and my husband and I have been discussing, and just like, what, why should we care about affordable housing? And just particularly, like, the market dictates where a lot of people live, especially, like, in our system, um, and, like, where they're able to afford. Mm. And so my husband was asking me, just like, and why shouldn't it be that way? Why shouldn't there be communities where just people can't afford to live there? Like, what's so wrong with that? Mm. Um, and I just wasn't able to give him, like, a super good answer. But, like, this came to me this morning, that this is a hospitality issue mm. because where people are able to live also controls like what communities they're able to be a part of, what jobs they're able to get, where their kids get to go to school, and basically who they're in relationship with. And mm -hmm. so like if we want to be in relationship with people who are different than us, which the gospel calls us to, right, mm -hmm. to be the unified body of Christ in our all of our diversity, if those people can't live with us, like we're not going to be in community with them. Like we're not going to be this accurate picture of the body of Christ. And so that's why we should care. Yeah, that's good. That That is good. I like that. Well, I would probably say for criminal justice, all the folks in my group, I would have a picture of Paul, the Apostle Paul, in prison. Uh, as soon as they walk out the door, they see that. And there's a couple reasons for that. Uh, number one is that uh, it reinforces the idea that there can be unjust laws that have people who don't belong in prison or don't belong uh, in the system there. Um, and if there's, if you can convince anyone that they probably shouldn't have been there, it's probably the Apostle Paul, Jesus too. Uh, but the other thing I would say about that is a, it's a reminder that so much good came out of the time that Paul was in prison. 
like the prison epistles that we read in scripture came from his time and the limitations that came there. And a lot of when we think about criminal justice and we think about even the prison system, uh, I think people can tend to have an idea that it's them coming to uh, help. It's a one-way transactional thing, but really these are our brothers and sisters in Christ and some of the sharpest theologians, some of the people who've uh, encourage my faith the most are the ones who are encountering Jesus in prison, and um, and are the the you know the leaders of our day um, from from that place. So that's probably what would come to mind uh, for me. So we got our billboards set up, uh, but for the non uh, creative thinker, just give it to me straight. Talk to us about just give the the pitch for why this is an important issue, why yours is an important issue. If someone was sitting in this extra chair here and they were just like, why should we care about affordable housing, criminal justice, refugees? What would you say? Logan, I see an answer brewing with yeah, you. Yeah, I would probably just repeat what I already said, honestly. Yeah. Um, but this is a hospitality issue uh, that we want to be people who embrace the other Um yeah, that the market doesn't exactly set up systems. I'm not anti-capitalist. Markets are a good tool, but uh, that's not the way that we should be choosing who we associate with. Um, that's not a Christian way of going about that. So, all right. So if I'm coming, let's just say it's the person who's asking this question is okay. like the equivalent of the smug theologian from the Samaritan story. Like, And his new question for you is, okay, great. It's a hospitality issue, but I'm just a normal guy. I don't have a real estate background. I don't. I'm not engaged with public policy. I've never done anything like that. Like, how could someone like me actually play a role in affordable housing? That's an excellent question, and it's one that I like struggle with myself. Yeah, say, yeah. Like, what can we really do? Um, I think there's definitely a role for the church to play in housing provision, mm -hmm. but also that seems like a really big, like crazy thing of like, oh my gosh, like constructing new housing. Mm. But there really, it could just be as simple as, hey, I've got a spare bedroom and like it's not being used regularly. So like maybe somebody could sleep there. Maybe I could rent that out to somebody or let them stay for free here in my house. And like that that's also providing housing. Um, yeah. Or like I have a neighbor who has either had trouble like paying the rent this past year with COVID or is getting fined by the city. They have repairs that aren't getting made to their house. Like maybe I could help them fix that or maybe I could like help them pay some of their bills that um, I would allow them to preserve the housing that they already have. Yeah, that's good. What about, um, I know you've talked before about the opportunity for people to build additions, build onto their house, build like uh, casitas and things like that, and how that could play a big role. Um, yeah. Is that, how does that affect things? Yeah. Um, so they're generally called accessory dwelling units. It's like the term that gets tossed around in like the planning literature. Not um, casita in the planning casita? literature. Uh, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that would be an opportunity to build another unit if you owned property, maybe somewhere on your property, uh, that that could be a way it doesn't destroy kind of the housing that already exists, but is a way to add and multiply what's already there and that that could open up new opportunities for rentals. Um, 
especially as they talk about in politics right now, like the end of single family zoning, what they're pushing for is a lot of things like that to make it easier to build these additional units or to be able to build duplexes and neighborhoods where there's all single family homes right now. And what about on a local level of some degree of advocacy? Like how could someone advocate for something that would be helpful um, at a local level? Yeah. So anytime these projects come up, we have a planning and zoning review board here Mm -hmm. in Tempe, and they actually hear the cases for all new developments that go on in the city. And these meetings are totally open to the public. They meet twice a month. Um, So you can go and whether you rent here or live here, or I think probably if you even work here and are just a concerned citizen, that you can go and submit comments um, and tell them, like, if there if there's an affordable housing project that goes through, say, like, yeah, I would love for you to build that here, like, as a Tempe resident. Um, or if there are projects where they were supposed to be affordable and then things got changed to say, like, no, like, what did you do with the affordable housing? Like, the city has goals and metrics that it's defined that it wants to meet. And so I think it's important for us to hold them accountable to that. Mm. Um, same, uh, city council has to approve all of these after they go through the planning and zoning uh, process. And so showing up to city council meetings and like sharing your voice there, uh, we can definitely advocate for our neighbors. Yeah, yeah. And I think anyone who's in Tempe, been around Tempe, uh, doesn't need to be convinced that this is an important issue because you've felt it. Right. right? Yeah. Um, Shelby. Yeah. All right. The smug, you know, person saying, why should I care? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, <laughs> I would just say I think we've all been in places of being in transition. Mm-hmm. And the discomfort of that, whether it's moving jobs, moving um, like to different cities, different things like that. And just thinking about like putting yourself in another person's shoes and being like, what kind of or putting like, what would I want? Like in that process, basically, um, and that would be some like some support. Yeah, uh, new friends, community, um, things like that. So, yeah, yeah. Can Can you tell us a little bit about your kind of what you do and how you spend your time currently? Because your prayer and action group hasn't started yet, but it's mm-hmm. growing out of um, things you've already been doing. Yeah. So um, I have been a part of a tutoring group at an apartment complex here in Phoenix. And I've been a part of that group for about two years now. But um, Stephen Lori Peterson and Paul Dedewo, they've been doing it for about five, six years now. Mm -hmm. They have a really cool story about how all that came to be. Um, But basically, we've just been getting together with the kids at the apartment complex uh, every Tuesday from like 530 to 7. And we take them through reading. We do different worksheets, help them work on homework and things like that. And then from all of that, we've also been able to do a library cart where we take it around door to door to the families that we know and then um, also families that we run into too. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of been like a cool way to um, actually meet more people. Um, And all of that like has brought about that uh, I met a girl from tutoring. We developed a friendship and she uh, really wanted to learn how to play basketball. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I love basketball. Mm-hmm. So I was like, of course, I'll teach you how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. So it started with her and her sister. And we just started going to the courts a couple of days a week. And then that grew into a group of 10 kids 
And so I've been doing that every Thursday for about nine months now. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So it's just, I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's just like life on life. It's nothing like too crazy, but um, yeah, but it's been really fun. So Yeah. So if people end up jumping in and they're creating their mission plan, yeah. their kind of action plan, yeah. what are the types of things that they might end up focusing on? Oh, man. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of avenues. You can you can link up with a, reef, a refugee resettlement agency. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a way to actually co-sponsor and be a part of, like, the case management process. So um, the case management um, time frame is from the time that the refugees get off of the airplane to about six months down the road and setting up a bunch of uh, everything that they'll need, like the basic practical things like getting into the school system, English as a second language classes, um, uh, like setting up their housing, different things like that. And the co-sponsor uh, sponsors will actually be a part of like their transportation, helping them open bank accounts, um, helping them with job interview stuff, um, different things like that. So that's one aspect. Uh, there's a couple of churches that are um, have been planted with refugee pastors, mm-hmm. and they're actually looking for mentors for their youth. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a Korean church here in Tempe that's actually looking for mentors. Um, you can get involved with. Yeah. Those are yeah. Yeah, that's a those snapshot. Yeah, that's yeah. a snapshot. Yeah. Where are people coming from, and how did how do they get here? Is, is it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, currently, Afghanistan, mm-hmm. Syria. Um, a lot of the families I work with are from Somalia and the Congo. Mm-hmm. So, our Somali, uh, Somalia. Yeah. And, um, yeah, those are yeah. the main ones that I've been yeah, yeah. seeing. So. Yeah, and it's interesting, I think, a misconception that people have um, is that I think sometimes people bring up the, like, terrorism thing with that. But it would literally be the dumbest way to ever try to be a terrorist because it is a, it is a like sometimes ten to fifteen year process yes. where you're going through more vetting than almost any other thing in the world um, that yeah that I've ever seen. Um, people are looking into your background, trying to ask you all these hard questions. Uh, you're living in a refugee camp for a while. And um, it would be like saying that you want to go rob a bank, but walking through the police station in order to get there. Um, And so there's like statistically virtually never been someone who's successfully done a terrorist attack or something who's come through the refugee process. Um, So there's that. And then the other thing is a lot of people, what they don't know is that um, they're not just coming here because they— or just wanting to, a different place to live. It's you can't enter the system unless your your life is in danger, persecution. Um, what are some of the, there? I mean, persecution on multiple levels, whether it's um, ethnicity or yeah. religion. Um, yeah, there's like yeah. a lot of layers to that. Yeah. And like provable, life is in danger. Mm-hmm. I like what your face is doing, Logan. What are you uh, thinking? Oh, I was just thinking about like political dissent too. Yeah, um, people who are speaking out against corrupt regimes. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, a lot of people who end up here are folks who've worked with the U.S. military and and those sorts of things, and therefore, 
Um, like for instance, the coming from Afghanistan, like if they were to stay, the fact that they helped the U.S. military actually makes them a target. Um, so there's almost like a obligation as a country uh, to receive those folks. But whether your obligation is for, uh, for, uh, as a country is one thing. There's the the reality that Scripture calls us to care for the sojourner. Um, is probably the bigger deal. So, one of you should ask me. You should play the. You should play the person challenging for criminal justice. Who's going to do it? Who's stepping up? I'll do it, Jim. Why does it matter? Why should we care about criminal justice? Good question. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, the the reality is is that we as a country, I believe, have a higher incarceration rate than almost any um, developed country in the world. Um, that there are there are a lot of good people doing really good work in, in the system, and there are some things that actually work in the system. But then there's also some broken things uh, within the system that have a tendency uh, to give advantage to those who can pay for good representation, um, and for those who can't, uh, they tend to not get uh, the justice and the fair representation uh, that they need. Everyone connected to the system is uh, stretched thin. The uh, attorneys, public defenders, the police officers, uh, the POs, the people in the prison, it's a system that doesn't tend to like bring restoration and rehabilitation, but actually when you go into it, it tends to uh, even uh, have a high recidivism. Not good at saying that word, right? But you get what I'm talking about. Um, And that connected to this big, broken, painful uh, system are a lot of people created in the image of God. Not just those in the system, but the families that are connected to it. People are, so many fathers are are not with their families because of things that are going on in the system. And so uh, it's something that connects to so many lives uh, that God deeply cares about. Just curious, do you know how it got that way and got stretched so thin and with so many holes? Well... There are a lot of different factors that we talk about in the prayer and action group, and it depends on what aspect of it you're talking about. Um, and so what I actually thought about putting on the billboard was it's way more complicated than you think. Um, and so you, let me just take one piece of it. The reason why, one of the reasons why you have so many people who are so many people who are in coming from economically distressed situations, not getting a fair shot in the system, uh, doesn't have to do with people with ill intent or bad intentions or anything. But if you just take the public defender uh, process, some of our public defenders, because of funding and those sorts of things, are stretched so thin that they can't spend an adequate amount of time with those that they're defending. Uh, like in some areas, I've heard it's 
like 10 minutes um, uh, on average of how their large caseloads of how they how much time they could spend with the person before they represent them. Now, you can imagine a public defender being so stretched thin, you're going to want to make things a little bit more efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Well, then that's where the plea bargains come in. Um, and a lot of times to make the process more efficient, you give someone a plea bargain, they plea down to a lesser uh sentence a lesser crime and they end up spending some time in prison but or or in jail or something but and it's not what they could have been charged with but if that person's innocent and they're poor and they don't and they have a public defender who's clearly not have, having a lot of time for them there's a there's a real temptation to say I'll just take the plea so I can get out of this like that, there there's an example of it where there's no one who's really uh, has intentional nefarious motives for that, but it's just stretched thin in that regard. Um, I could get into other ones, but that's, yeah, that's like one example of it. Yeah, that's illuminating. Yeah. Uh, there's also strange things that happen with sentencing. Um, there's, uh, well, anyway, we, we let's jump in uh, a little more. I wanted to, do, to reflect a little bit on, um, you know, we talked about the sermon. This is kind of weird, me asking people about sermons that I uh, <laughs> preached. So what was great about it? What do you think? No. Um, the question would be, one of the things we emphasized was that there are a lot of people who are thinking about how we should do something. It's a real conviction that people have. But that doesn't really matter <laughs> because it often, unless it actually turns into something real and fruitful. Um, It's just good intentions. What's a simple action that someone can take right now to care for the vulnerable in your area? Like the most simple, like if by the end of this month, someone has to do something, what would you suggest? I would say get on your city's website and sign up for their emails. Um, that they set goals with regards. If you were cared about housing in particular, they set goals with housing. And so Mm. you could get on there and anytime that there were meetings or they wanted public comments for affordable housing developments that were going in, they will email you Mm. and say, hey, we would love for you to like get online and comment on this or come to our open house and like tell us what you think uh, just so that you know what's going on. Um, I think that would be good. And that's always easier for me to have people bring me information than to have to like go look it up online and like think about it in the course of my day. Yeah, that's that's great. Mm-hmm. What would you say? I mean, similarly, similarly to that, I would say there's a Facebook group that's called Phoenix Refugee Connections, and you can hop on there and find a bunch of information and a bunch of volunteer opportunities. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or even they have classes too, like Refugee 101, 201 to kind of even give you some background and orient you to like what's going on and how you can be helpful. Yeah. What would you say is like the easiest like place to get started on actually doing something? Because that's also learning about things. Um, would it be the Welcome to, is it yeah, welcome welcome to, America, to America Project? Coming to America? Welcome to America welcome Project. To America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're here in Tempe and they're actually a warehouse. And they functioned to support the refugee resettlement agencies. Mm -hmm. So their warehouse has kitchen supplies, 
uh, furniture, uh, cleaning supplies, everything, basically welcome kits for the families that are coming. And then they take big, big groups, like 30 to 40 people on a Saturday morning, and they'll go and distribute them to about two to three families. So that's a really great way. There's not as much interaction with the families, but it's a way to kind of like see, okay, where are the families going and kind of hearing their stories and um, the volunteer leads will give kind of a background of who these people, who the people are, um, how many are in the family, where they're coming from and everything. And then they'll normally uh, make like a little introduction to, to the families and everything. So it's just a, a good way to just get involved, like very service level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I think for criminal justice, I would say prison fellowship, connecting with their what they're doing, they always have some good opportunities. But the specific one that we're going to be doing this year uh, for affordable Christmas or the Advent season is going to be the Angel Tree. So they have all of the families in our area uh, who have someone who has been incarcerated. They've got like a list of those folks who have kids who've signed up who want to receive a gift. And you're going to buy a gift and you're going to deliver it to the family. Um, but you're not, it's not from you. It's from whoever um, their parent is in, in prison. So you're kind of partnering with the parents to play Santa. So you show up and you're like, here, this is from dad. You know, um, yeah. And so um, there will be that. And our hope is really that there's long term, there's real relationship that's built from that initial uh, gesture there, but that's that's how it would start. So, um, you know, let me flip that question is, and someone says, well, I actually do want to read and learn more. I intend to act, but I also want to read or watch a documentary or something like that. What's like the one resource that you'd recommend? Man. Um, I'm reading a really great book right now called Making Housing Happen by Jill Shook. And mm. she is a Christian and comes from a theological background, but she's been working with affordable housing out in Pasadena. Um, and she writes, she basically like surveys a whole bunch of different programs like across the nation mm. of different ways people have gone about producing housing in their communities. Um, and it's just like a really cool survey of like different projects that people have tried and like different ways that the spirit has worked. Mm. And I think just for me, it's showing like this feels like really big and impossible, but these are like ordinary people who God has used to do this again and again and again. Um, so that's been really neat. Yeah, that's good. Outrageous justice would be a good one. Prison Fellowship put it together for the criminal justice stuff. What would you say, Shelby? There's actually one that the group will be reading called Seeking Refuge. And the name of the author is actually totally gone. What's that? In my mind, I can't remember what the name of the author is, but Yang Sorens, and then I forget the the other yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Sorens has been a First Wednesday speaker before. Yeah. yeah, but that's a good one just to get an introduction to the whole process. Yeah, um, where the refugees are coming from, what you were talking about earlier—that it takes years, and then. There's like six layers of security and all of these different things that go into the process where they're coming from and then um, how they were settled here. Yeah, that's good. Well, let's have a little conversation about these uh, cultural currents. So yesterday we talked about, or on Sunday we talked about some of the cultural currents, these, these movements and culture that draw us away 
from the most vulnerable. So I'm curious how these things affect um, affect engagement with your uh, with your area of focus. So, uh, well, first of all, you know they were comfort uh, hashtag people, so caring about the idea of certain groups of people rather than actual people. Uh, what aboutism the Tendency to just be able to explain away and nuance everything to where you never actually do anything. And then tribalism, the way that kind of our subcultures or political tribes make us devalue certain groups of people. So first of all, which was it, was there any of those that personally challenged you that you feel like you kind of get caught up in? Oh, for me, it's definitely comfort. Um, yeah, leading this group has been really uncomfortable, like in the best sort of way. How so? Uh, yeah, so I'm reaching out to different experts in the community who are either already involved in this um, or who do academic work on it and just asking them for like their thoughts and like, what do you think is most important? How would you want people to get involved? And then like, hey, would you like come speak to my group? Like, mm. I would love to learn more from you. Uh, which is just not my bent to reach out to people who I don't know, especially like I would love to work in this field once I finish my master's degree and say like, oh gosh, what these people think about me like may actually affect my future. Yeah. So that's just been really like humbling to like lay that at the feet of Jesus and say like, no, Jesus, like whatever you have for me, like that's in your hands and not in the hands of these people. So like I can be faithful to like what you've asked. That's so good because I think a lot of times when people think about taking up your cross, they're thinking like, I'll take a bullet for Jesus, but will you take some awkwardness for Jesus? Yes. <laughs> will you will you face the potential of being blown off by somebody for Jesus? Which I think in some ways is so subtle that we might actually be more prone to reject it than the big things that, yeah, the, the, the big suffering that tends to get the, yeah, that's, that's good. How about you, Shelby? Yeah, the tribalism one actually stuck out to me, mostly because I just am a reconciler at heart. And mm -hmm. so just the, I, I think I've just spent a lot of time, um, kind of what you were like talking about earlier in kind of explaining to people why refugees are like safe and like wonderful people that just need friends. Yeah. Um, that to me is just kind of like getting people on board and educated and understanding um, all of that. Yeah, totally. And it's so true on the like, you know, what's interesting is it's so true on the safety thing that in a lot of ways that they're uh, refugees like add to the economy. Yes. They um, commit less crimes than the average person. But also, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, Jesus is not saying, I love your neighbor right. if they're 100% safe and there's a guarantee that you will never have any hardship or challenging. I'm going to tell a story about some death threats a little bit later, so that'll be fun. <laughs> See, that's a little teaser to keep people listening. Um, yeah, I think um, for me, it's the hashtag people. I shared it a little bit on Sunday, is that I can— really love concepts and the idea of doing something. But when it comes to the actual being with people, it's not, it's, it's real life, right? Like it's filling out job applications and it's 
having conversations yeah. late into the evening when you're tired and, you know, those sorts of things. So um, do any of those stand out to you as do you feel like that they might be barriers to others in your particular in your particular area of focus? I had a really good conversation with some folks after service on Sunday on the whataboutism, actually. Mm. Um, and we were discussing how, like, there there is a place for, like, whataboutism, because I think we see systems, we say, like, oh, like, I want to make this better. So, like, for example, like, if you help out at a food pantry to say, like, it's great that we give people food. Like, mm-hmm. Jesus says to feed the hungry, we're feeding the hungry. Mm-hmm. But then at some point, like it's important to ask, but like, why are these people food insecure? Mm -hmm. Like, why do they need to keep coming back to the food pantry? But that like the time and the place for that is like after you're already involved in feeding them. Yeah. Yeah. Not up front to keep you from ever like putting your foot out in the door and feeding them. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. I, I, yeah. And I resonate with that one too. Because I like to think about the philosophical and all the implications and the nuances and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you never figure it out perfectly. There's always tensions. And if you're waiting to figure it out, you're just never going to engage. Yeah. Yeah, what about you? I think, yeah, I like what you said about the orgasms. At first, that was my answer, but now I'm going to change it. Because I I think, like, hashtag people would be where I'm going with this simply because I feel like it's easy to hop on trends. Mm. Um, and I think it's almost like it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like trendy to, to care about the things that are like in the news right away and everything. Um, but there's like a, a faithfulness to it that it's like staying in it. And um, yeah. 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 So I'd be curious for you, kind of shifting topics yeah. here. We talked a lot about the simple, often overlooked gifts and blessings that God has given us mm. that we tend to not think as instruments of love and blessing for others, mm. for you in your life. And maybe it pertains to this issue or maybe it pertains to something else. But what's an something that God has given you that you've tended to overlook and then God ended up using it? I mean, I was not a basketball star in high school, so no. Um, So I just, I love the game. And uh, I mean, it's really actually kind of funny because I started playing like very consistently about six months before she asked me. Hmm. So I was like shooting a lot of hoops. And uh, so when she asked me, I was just like, well, yeah, I'm already doing this like once or twice a week anyways, I might as well do it with you too. So, Mm. you know, so it's kind of that. And then like with tutoring, it's kind of like, you know, also just simple math, like reading, like, yeah, I know the English language. I'll help you in your ABCs. It's like, and like when, you know, they're better at math than me anyways. And that's like a, that's a place of vulnerability that actually turns into like something that's funny and more of a deeper relationship. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. What would you say, Logan? I would say the spare room um, in the condo we rented. My husband and I first got married. And then in the house that we have now, like, we have rooms that are not being used. Mm-hmm. And so like we've just decided as a couple, like, yeah, we're going to try and like have other people live with us. Yeah. Um, and so over the years, I think we've had like 
nine different people live with us for different stints of time. I mean, some just for a couple of weeks and some for a year or more. Uh, but that has been just so cool just to have other people like in our business and in our stuff and just to see the ways that God has really used that to humble me and to say like, you're not the easiest roommate to live with either. Hmm. And like conflict resolution is important and yeah. you should do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's been really cool. Yeah. It struck me last week when I was doing a little research and stuff, 33 million spare bedrooms in the United States, Dang. just sitting there, no one dwelling within that place. And it's not to say that every circumstance and every spare bedroom needs to be used and everything, but like take 10% of those and you've made a significant dent in oh, yeah. a housing situation. And it's so easy to think like, I don't want to do that because this will be so uncomfortable to have somebody like in my stuff, but it's been such a gift to yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've noticed you guys doing that. I think it's really cool. Um, I think for, for me, the one that stands out is... Uh, I was a knucklehead who got in a lot of trouble and had some interactions with the system. And I grew up with a lot of people who've had interactions with the system. And you think when you're a kid, that's only going to hurt me in the future. Um, like there's nothing, this is a detriment to my future, but in God's economy, he can actually take that and uh, actually use that as a, means of blessing for those uh, who are connected to criminal justice. So um, I think the biggest thing when it comes to a prayer and action group is what happens about four months in. Because, and this is maybe me speaking to you guys, uh, a little warning. Okay, four on the way. Uh, yeah. Um, not just a prayer and action group, but actually any substantive engagement in God's mission uh, is that you hit this point where it's no longer new, it's no longer fresh, it's hard, things you're trying aren't working, and you live in a world that says, if it's hard for you, you should probably not do it. Uh, God wouldn't want you to do a hard thing. Uh, or, And then at the same time, you have an abundance of options all around you to just do more things, do different things. So as people are engaging and saying, I want to move from should to actually doing something, it's probably going to work pretty well for the next month or two. But what advice do you have for them when they hit that wall? Like, what then? I I don't know if I ever saw it as a wall, mm -hmm. but I didn't, I, you know, where I'm at right now, even like in my relationship with the families and just like really enjoying like everything that's going on right now, it didn't happen in like six months. It mm -hmm. didn't happen in, you know, like in this step-by-step -step process, it just like kind of evolved. Mm -hmm. And so I guess my advice is like, just kind of let it happen. And like, God already has like a vision of bringing all of this about in your life and also in the lives of whoever you're going to be serving and loving. Mm -hmm. um, and so 
yeah, like, I don't know, like just let it happen. And it might, you might find yourself in a completely different space in two years. Mm -hmm. But if you just take like initial steps and like do what's in front of you, that one thing that you're like, I'm like, if you're passionate about refugees, you're doing like the next, the next right thing. Mm -hmm. So go get involved in anything to do with refugees. And then from there, like see where it goes kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I know that's kind of like different than the whole mission plan idea, but I think just getting involved helps you get ideas for, okay, where am, where am I going to next? How can I apply my gifts and stuff like that? So, so I like that uh, to a degree. So let's okay. play with this a little Hit bit. Because yeah. I think what some people do is they do the, uh, the pinball thing. And they bounce from thing to thing to thing to thing, uh, feeling like they're eventually going to find that perfect spot where it's like everyone's coming to know Jesus. You're changing the world. It's only costing you about an hour a week. And, uh, you know, you hear the heavenly angels sing every time you do it. Um, and then until you find that, until you find that thing that makes you just feel so meaningful and Perfect. You're going to keep bouncing. Mm. What do you think? When do you stop bouncing? I would would say, when do you stop bouncing? Yeah. And just say, you know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to do some hard things and love people. Yeah. Wait, was that the question? Yeah, like, when do you stop... (laughs) Yeah, when do you stop when you stop doing bouncing that. and say yeah. oh. oh no, absolutely. Okay, I see, I see. Um that's a great question. I can only speak from personal experience. Yeah. Okay, so I I I would say it's just like that's I would say it came out of the the library cart and one student, like being intentional with one student. And then all of a sudden I like looked at that relationship and I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to commit to this girl for like till she graduates. Mm -hmm. So it was like it kind of the opportunity kind of presented itself to me of it's it was kind of like, okay, I don't really know what I'm doing to. All right. This is the person I'm going to dedicate the time so I like that like that in itself it's been like yeah it's been meaningful but even in even in those relationships like with her and her her friends and her brothers and sisters like that's been like anything but like easy like Mm -hmm. it's it's like so many layers to you know like me sorting through things and like um cross-cultural differences and like different things like that but I think also what I do want to like say is that when it's in a relationship, it almost doesn't matter. Mm. Like the hard things like almost become just like, it's less of like, it's still a sacrifice, but it feels more like, no, I want to do this. Mm. Well, what it, if you don't want to? What if you don't that's want like to? That's like how every but that's marriage what, ends. But that's what I'm saying is that's what like love is. Yeah. Is it's like, is it still choosing to... Yeah. To show up. All right. I like that. Yeah. All right. I like that a lot. Choosing to show up. Um and and making a commitment and choosing to show up. Yeah. I'm 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 all for that. Uh how about you, Logan? What would you say? I would say that 
ultimately character transformation comes through pain and suffering. So you should just embrace it. Amen. Embrace that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because the spirit does his best work when we are super uncomfortable. Um, That's definitely been true in my life. Um, And I think just in that, that like the Psalms and the scriptures give us total leverage to be super honest with God um, just in the middle of that and to like say how much it sucks and to like say how hard it is and just how angry I am that things are not moving forward or how sad I am about all this brokenness I'm encountering uh, Mm. to take that to God, that that's what Jesus has purchased for us. Mm. We can approach the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. Um, Yeah, so I would encourage you just to encounter God, take him at his word, take him seriously, and just also embrace this as a time that like I'm joined in the sufferings of Christ. Amen. That that will make me different. And that's a good thing. (laughs) Yeah. And those sufferings don't have to be the being martyred, but it's the day in, day out, Mm. hard things. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue it was almost harder, honestly. Yeah, yeah, totally. I say that. I've never been martyred for the faith. Well, you know... I can resonate because I have yet to die, like not even once. So, um, so I can't speak from experience. Yeah, uh, although my wife would say that I'm pretty good at trying to die. So, um, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna close with the story um, that is my answer to this question, and it's kind of the stuff that I didn't say, didn't have time to say on Sunday about that Uzbek story. Um, so the, you know, there was, a, this community was flourishing. Uh, if you don't know the story, I'm not going to rehash it now. Go listen to the sermon. Uh, that was a nice little plug right there. Um, but we had served a lot of Uzbeks. We had this really deep relationship and, um, they were organizing this group that was seeking to do nonviolent protests to remove the dictator God was doing some amazing things there. All right. So things even got more amazing. While I was in Germany, the head of this movement, who had been a former presidential candidate, were sitting there at lunch trying to have a conversation, and he has no English, and I have even less Uzbek. So we are just, I don't know, signaling to each other. Someone leans over and is just annoyed by our attempts to communicate, and says, look, you both lived in Turkey. Why don't you just speak Turkish to one another? And so all of a sudden, he had realized he had been exiled in Turkey. I had been lived in Turkey for three years. We both knew Turkish, and we started hitting it off in Turkish. And I had always thought, like, now that I'm not living in Turkey, am I ever going to use this Turkish language uh, again? And so we're hitting it off and become friends, and then he decides to appoint me as one of the leaders in this movement, like that I'm his advisor uh, in this whole thing. And I have no idea what I'm doing. He decides that my job is going to go, go back to Arizona and to teach nonviolent direct action to the Uzbeks here in Arizona. And I don't know anything about... You know, I'm not like Martin Luther King Jr. or anything. So I just told him, I said, most of the folks that I know who know nonviolent direct action, they took what they've learned from Jesus. He said, great. Well, why don't you just teach everybody about Jesus and and the Gospels 
And then we can get some other people around you to read some of the other stuff. So th- I'm getting commissioned by this Muslim leader to go teach all the Muslims in Arizona about Jesus. And these times in the Gospels were so sweet. Like the Spirit was working, uh, drawing people to himself. It was crazy. But here's the thing. It was this sweet season. And then... Osama bin Laden was assassinated. It's kind of technical here, but when bin Laden was assassinated, that meant that the U.S. relations with Pakistan went south, and the only supply route into Afghanistan was through Uzbekistan. So the U.S., our country, dropped all the sanctions on uh, Uzbekistan, started paying the military and their KGB and training them, And these were the same people who had killed the family members of my friends. Um, And they started doing that. They they shut off all communication with us and our group uh, until, like, John McCain was actually the big advocate, and he had connected us with a bunch of people in D.C. and everything. But communication got shut off. And the Uzbek leadership and their kind of KGB version— uh, their version of the KGB got so emboldened because of that that they started abducting these people's families. Oh, my um, gosh. Yeah. They assassinated one of the guys that I I, I, I knew, got a little close with, uh, who was one of the leaders in the movement. And um, it took the legs out from underneath this movement. Not because they were unwilling to suffer or go through hard things, but because there was like no moral authority left in the region that neither U.S. or Russia was going to have any degree of accountability. They were actually kind of pandering to the Uzbek government. So these guys were deflated. Um, I was pretty uh, deflated as well. Um, We started getting death threats, um, through Facebook, people who said that they knew where we were at um, in relation to this. And and so, you know, I had to, like, call the police and everything like that. And it was, like, this incredible momentum of, like, people, Uzbek folks having dreams about Jesus as in the Gospels, like, this amazing stuff happening, just whew, getting deflated. Most of them ended up moving to different cities to work for a trucking company, and um, it was really tough, and uh, it may, there's a part of me that, it, that I get a little hesitant to step in sometimes when things are going good like that. But the reality is, I think that having a vision of uh, the end, uh, an eschatology of the end in mind, actually keeps us going and persevering through when things get hard here. Um, because one is if we believe that one day Jesus is going to renew and restore all things that I'm, I'm going to, that Uzbeks are going to come to Jesus, that I'm going to travel to Uzbekistan, even if it's after Jesus comes back and we're going to have some good pullov and celebrate his glory and all the dreams that they had had for that country and what it would be like will actually be implemented in the, in the perfection of his kingdom. And he will wipe away the tears from the eyes of the people whose 
families were abducted and, you know, make things right. But also that was a season that made me feel really good about the doctrine of judgment that um, the, that, that dictator and the people connected around him and the people who made those really harmful decisions that ended up affecting those things, they're going to have to stand before a God who is a judge one day. And like having this vision of the end of God making things right um, and standing against uh, those who've oppressed and harmed his good world um, is the, the type of thing that keeps us going and persevering. If we demand utter transformation and you know, revival in every single thing that we do here in this life, we're going to fizzle out. But if we can have a vision of the kingdom that's coming, it'll allow us to persevere through a lot of hard things. So anyway, that was the end of the Uzbek story. Didn't have time to tell it all uh, on Sunday. All right. So we are going to wrap up now. Um, if you want to get involved with affordable housing, too bad. You're the, the ship has sailed on the group, but you can reach out to Logan. She'll connect you to some opportunities. Um, Shelby, uh, if they want to get involved with refugees, um, sign up on the website or on the app. You've got until August or October 11th. Yes. Yeah. All right. Right up to the day. Yeah. And uh, if there are other ways that you want to connect, reach out to me. Appreciate y'all. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the All of Life podcast. To get more information on Redemption Church Tempe, you can download the Redemption Tempe app or you can send an email to tempe at redemptionaz.com.